Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing? Well, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show today on some stuff that I think is going to be really impactful for people. When we look at today's show and we talk about some of the concerns that people have uh, in their lives as they're approaching or living in retirement, number one, yep. inflation. It's a big topic right now. It is eroding people's purchasing power, which means that it's also making people have a lot of concerns about their retirement yep. with these high inflation numbers. Yep. Uh, there is a second piece that people are concerned about is their families. Yeah, always. And, and one part about when it comes to their families is, you know, there there's certain family dynamics out there that mm -hmm. require people to remove their children out of their will. Why would someone do this? What are some of the reasons? I think having that conversation about that, that it's like, I guess it's somewhat of a, like a taboo topic about, not, you know, your, your kids, you want to take them out of the will. Why are people doing this? We're going to have that conversation right. as well. And it's not always for bad reasons, right? It's not always for bad reasons. There's, there's family planning reasons why you'd want to do that. So I think people will find that a very interesting topic and uh, Jen will help guide us through that. Um, Faisal, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, in the first segment here, the media effect. I'm going to share with you uh, an interesting um, experience I had over the past month, but I had a client who had sent me a number of articles and they were all very negative. And, uh, you know, he was concerned that it was just going to go to hell in a handbasket here. Okay. So in advance of our conversation, I sent a bunch of articles that were really positive. Okay. And then when I, and I said, please read these and then we'll have a conversation. He was so frustrated with me when I got on the phone. Dave. I said, did you read the articles? Yeah. He said, nobody knows what the heck is going on. <laughs> I said, welcome to my world, Right. I said, I, I, but I said, listen, we can't, there's not just one side. There's not one side. And so the immediate, the media effect, the headline effect on people is real. And it, inf it affects how they think about uh, lifestyle and, and, and investments and risk and everything. And, and, I'll, and I'll challenge it a bit more than just the headline effect. I think that people are receiving news stories. They're reading the entire article. They're watching the entire video or audio clip, mm -hmm. and they're reacting to just that that piece of information. Yeah. Um, I think what's what individuals who are in this world of retirement, I mean, they're transitioning to or living in retirement, need to look at the media in this manner. The media is not to be used as a forecast of the future. Ah, interesting point. The media needs to be looked at as a reporter of what's already happened. Okay. When we start getting into here's what's happened and here's what we think's going to happen, the forecast, that's a prediction. It's not a forecast. It's a prediction. Can I talk about an interesting prediction? Sure, go for it. To stress that point. Um, I was reading, um, just briefly reading an article on, you know, we often see major magazines that come out with their headlines, right? Their yep. cover stories. Yep. Um, and there was a major um, publication that came out with uh, um, a prediction, or was the cover story, on the future of cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And it was a second cover that appeared that uh, reversed completely the first prediction in that same magazine 
And what was interesting to me about it was it was the shortest it was the shortest cover to cover reversal in history so far. But it's interesting two parts. One, the timing. Number two, the reversal. We actually see a reversal happening. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And I don't think people, because they're they're viewing this information publication by publication, yeah. and they're not looking over the time that you know, we predict the markets are gonna crash. And then the next headline or the next cover is the markets are doing fantastic. And you get these cover stories. Right. And it's I, almost schizophrenic, right? People are just it becomes schizophrenic at some yeah, point. Yeah, I think I think what again, what people have to remember is that do not look at the media as a forecast. Look at the media as a reporter of what's just happened. Right. Right? And so when we get to that point. The question is, then what's going to happen? Where's the certainty out there? Or how do I predict stuff? That's a different process. Right. That's a different piece that need, people need to look at. And I think when you start looking at what you did with this individual client, where you sent literally the opposite Opposite. type. With intent. With intent. intent. Right? So that's the starting point of getting some sort of understanding of what's the realm or the boundaries of probabilities. Right. And as you start to fact gather, you'll be able to see where you fit in your viewpoints of all those probabilities within the boundaries. And and you and I have had this, we have this conversation all the time, but there's siloed thinking, right? So so we get fixated on one thing, whatever the headline of the day is, and then and then people silo on that, not realizing that there's a number of different mo- levers involved in this equation. So if this happens, There'd be a whole bunch of ripple effects, right? And so it's very difficult to predict with certainty, right, on exactly what's going to happen. And this is the this is the problem when we start going down that path as individuals, as an investors, and we start to make outsized investments or bets on a certain outcome, a probability of an outcome. That's when you set yourself up for real problems. And I think when you're when you're experiencing the time of your life that we call retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're spending your time focusing on what could be. Yeah. Then you're not enjoying what is. <laughs> right. Right? Right. And so I, I have yet to find somebody who says to me, Faisal, I can't wait to retire so I can worry about my money for the rest of my life. <laughs> Never met one yet. No. And if you're out there, call me. I want to hear this. We've met lots that do it. There's none that say it. Yeah. That's not and the I stated ask, goal. What do you want to do in retirement? <laughs> and worrying about my money yeah. or reading every news article or watching my accounts every day is not the top 25 things that people say. It's never been do. listed. It's never been listed on any of our... So why do we do it? It's right. the uncertainty. It's the fear. I get that. Right. So then where's the strategy behind it? Right. And are you sticking to your discipline around that strategy? Yeah. 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 And that's the approach that uh, you need to take going forward. I think the people who are a lot calmer <clears throat> through these types of volatile times are the ones who have a different experience in retirement mm-hmm. than the ones who are checking their accounts regularly. They're reading all the news story, looking for the biggest problems out there. Because we don't read the news to look for the good stories. Right. We just don't do that. That's well, just and the not, news won't present it that way. Right. It's just not. It's not something that we would do. We look for the... Where's the fear? Where's the next issue? Where's the next problem? Yeah. And then when we find it, aha, and then we get into that rabbit hole, that is not the nicest thing to do. So I think let's go back to what's the vision of retirement. Yeah. 
and what's stopping you from doing that? Right, right. I think that's good advice, right? And it's something we all need to hear. Uh, and it, it, again, it, it needs to be heard over and over and over. There is a process. We go through cycles. Some of those, some of the part of the cycle is up. Some of the part of the cycle is down. And I'm not saying we don't worry about it. You and I worry about it. You, you saw me running great. in this week, running into the into the boardroom where you were at, and I said, "Oh my God, Poland got hit by a mm-hmm. by a missile." Mm-hmm. Right, and, and right away we said, "Okay, oh crap, here we are." Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a whole bunch of outcomes that's going to happen from here. Let's take a step back and take a look at what's going to go on. Right, right? And, and and that's our job to worry for our clients. Right, it's our job to worry about what's happening in the world and how do we make sense of it and how do we invest prudently for our clients. Yeah. That's our job. It's not their job to do that. That's what they hire us for. Yeah, exactly. Right? And and, it's, and we're not saying obviously it's not right to be concerned. And you do need to keep yourself informed of what and why and how and all of those things, right? That's an important piece of the process to make sure people are in control of what, of what they're experiencing. But all of that is an effort to say, go out and have fun and continue to lead, uh, lead your life. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is where a lot of uh, misunderstanding about retirement comes in with the fact that knowing the, the proper way to retire. Faisal, uh, when we have conversations um, with clients about their legacy and estate planning, Mm-hmm. Um, the family dynamics always plays a role, right? And we've talked about this in the past. Sometimes those family dynamics um, get to the point where a parent uh, is not, they, they want to write a, a child out of the will. Like there's something, they become estranged. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. My daughter was kind of upset with me and she called me a loser. <laughs> and then you know what I did? Insi- inside voice. You know what my inside voice was? You're out of the will. That wasn't your inside You're voice. out of the will. That was my inside voice. I didn't say it out loud. But I thought it right. because she called me a loser. Right. Well, she's not totally wrong. She's not wrong. Whatever you were doing at that moment probably was probably a loser. Probably was a loser. But the point <laughs> is that people want to, for whatever reason, to remove their children out of the will. Well, there comes a time. There are instances where that happens, and it's it's a bit tricky when it's uh, when it's a child, and there's differences in different uh, different jurisdictions like Alberta, BC, so on and so forth. Um, but. But there's lots of instances where this happens. Now, how do you do it is really the question. If you're at that point, right, and, and it's not just your inner voice, it's your outer voice, what do you have to do in order to accomplish that? Right? Well, we, we need to understand that. Yeah, we need our expert. And coming back on our show, a recurring guest, Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Cal. And Jennifer, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, uh, Faisal and Dave, for having me back. It's uh, always interesting to talk about um, these issues of the family dynamics and what to do with uh, children who may or may not uh, receive anything under their parents' wills. Now, let's maybe start with that. You, you made a comment when we were off air, Jen, that, um, that this is a topic uh, of discussion that is, um, I was going to say, becoming more popular. That's not the right phrase for sure, but is creeping up in the conversation. Uh, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what, uh, you know, what this process looks like if somebody's out there thinking, I've got a problem with one of my one of my children and I may want to write them out of the will. What, is, what does that mean in Alberta? Absolutely. So as a starting point, um, under Alberta law, there is actually no obligation to treat um, adult children equally under a will unless they have a dependency. Um, and that is defined as, you know, some, some physical or mental disability where they can't earn a livelihood. So 
if, if you take that issue aside, there's actually no obligation to treat your children equally. I've got three kids of my own, um, assuming when when I'm older and they reach the age of majority. Um, you know, if, if my oldest uh, is being a loser and I decide that I don't want to provide for him, I'm certainly entitled to, um, you know, take him out of the will. Um, Again, that's the starting point is there is no legal obligation absent dependency. Um, I'd also add that if there's a concern that one child um, is perhaps, perhaps financially less responsible, you may want to either take them out of the will or set up what's called um, a testamentary trust, whereby their inheritance is managed it's not given outright or in stages, but rather it's put into trust. And then there's a trustee that manages those funds. So there's many, many different options that you can consider when, whether or not you want all or some or none of your children in your will. There's a, there's a lot of people who we've spoken to that have conflicting thoughts about removing a child from their will. Part of it is guilt. Um, they wanna treat all their children equally, regardless of the relationship. You've been doing a lot of planning work with your clients about this specific topic. What are some of the reasons why your clients are removing their children out of the will? So in addition to um, concerns over financial responsibility, um, a troubling issue I've had to deal with my clients on is, do, does a child have addiction issues, substance abuse problems, um, which I guess ties into the concerns over financial irresponsibility? Um, those are two big issues. A third issue I've identified is what if there's that one child in the family who has been given a lot of gifts while mom or and dad or mom or dad are alive? Maybe they struggled, they needed more help, they gambled some money away, they got into debt, made bad investments. So perhaps there was unequal treatment during the, their lifetimes. So that is another very compelling reason what, you know, where clients feel a moral obligation to treat all children equally. Yet if one received a lot during the lifetime, then it should be equalized on death, if I'm making sense in that regard. And that's a really, really common um, fact scenario I see with my, my family planning clients is they do wanna treat everyone equally, but there may, have, may as well have been um, one or more children that got that extra extra cash, gifts, cars, down payments for houses during the lifetime. So it's an equalization process that they want to achieve in their testamentary documents. And I like the point how, how Jen mentioned that, Dave, with equalization, and, and a lot of parents that want to treat the children equally, right. we have to look at the, the, the time frame. When we're talking about estate planning or a legacy, we talk about upon death, but that can be while you're alive as well. Mm -hmm. So if you broaden your scope of your time frame to include from birth of child to, to your passing, and you look at that to equalize, then you're taking into account everything. I think that's a better way to look at it than just saying, well, upon death, it should be equal with all my, chil with all my children. Now, that's a practical way to look at it, and I think that makes sense, but that doesn't always translate when it comes time <clears throat> to read that will, and one of the children is either written out or gets less. So, Jen, although there's no financial obligation, uh, we have all seen instances where somebody says, hey, one of the children says, that's not fair, and now I'm gonna challenge that will. So if you're in that situation, what special steps, if any, do you need to take to make sure that, that is, it is understood that that was with intent? Excellent point, Dave and Faisal. So 
a couple of recommendations I make to my clients. Uh, there's two key ones. If you want to um, purposefully leave a child out or give them less, you build that language into the will itself, very clearly setting out the intentions. I, I specifically am excluding this child for the following reasons, A, B, and C, and that's very careful drafting that we do. Um, I also recommend doing during the lifetime a letter, a letter of intention that's usually signed by both the testator and the child. So they're on the same page as to, you know, the worst thing is when people are caught by surprises, right? A child does, doesn't think that they're going to be cut out and all of a sudden on death, they realize this. And then that's where the blowups tend to really happen. And the families really can fall apart and be subject to, you know, just awful, awful litigation and family disputes and the rest of it. So those are two strategies that we really recommend, not just having the language built in the will, but um, a separate, almost a gifting letter. So if, if a parent is giving a child significant gifts over their lifetime, or maybe just, maybe just a car or house, it doesn't have to be multiple gifts. I always like to understand how those are treated. Are those treated as an advance on inheritance? Or are those just pure gifts that never have to be looked at again? And then the will stands on its own. So these are a few of the different um, fact scenarios that we like to run through with our clients to say, what do you intend? What, what do you truly want to see when it happens? Because um, another issue I do want to raise, and I, I don't want to, I know we are, we're not, we don't have too much time. I think we could talk about this topic all day long, but what happens when there's real property, like the family cabin, two kids want it, third has no interest in using it. They just want their interest bought out. Um, that always creates very, very interesting planning scenarios because how do you structure that? Do you give the property to all three, even though one or two may, may not have any interest in it? And how do you equalize that? Um, that's, and it doesn't have to be a recreational property. It can be any other properties that are held. So whenever, um, we're flagged by our clients to adult children and having not just cash, not just liquid assets, but property um we always and jewelry artwork all those things have to be taken into into account when we're advising our clients so this is why the you know jennifer was talking about the letter of intent the word intent is the key piece here the planning sitting down with your team yeah. not only your your financial team but a legal team as well like jen's to get together and build a strategy so you have this uh, this document that you're going to look at over and over again in the future has the same wishes and intent that you want to have. And the more more planning you do around it, the more the, the less conflict there'll be. And and Jen, definitely we want to make sure that anybody who wants to sit down with you to uh, to chat and learn more about how they can have that that kind of conversation and present that proper estate plan, just go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Hit the contact us. Say you want to speak with Jennifer and uh, we'll, we'll connect you with her directly. Jen, thank you very much for joining us again today. You're right, we could talk all day. We'll have you back on. These are topics we have to continue to explore. We always appreciate your input on this. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk uh, our clients through these challenging times, and we can usually find a way. We say open communication, full and frank disclosure as best you can so your kids aren't caught off guard and you don't have a mess after you're long gone. Yeah, Jen Lamb, partner, Cars Callan, LLP. Uh, thank you very much. And I would add to this that for our 
uh, guests that are listening outside of Alberta. The rules are different in different jurisdictions and different provinces. You need to seek legal advice because it may not be the same as Jen just described in Alberta, in BC, and all other provinces. <laughs> Boy, if there's one thing that this year that we've been talking to people about <laughs> is uh, inflation has destroyed my retirement. Inflation has forced me to delay my retirement. I don't know if I have enough money anymore. I mean, it's been it's been an unbelievable conversation, concern, and set of worries for people. Part of the concern is the unknown of what we expect inflation to be. It's surprised a lot of people. Um, it's here now, but how long is it going to stay? Is yep. it going to be the word sticky keeps on coming in? Um, should we relook at our, our retirement going forward and maybe have a higher number for the rest of our lives? Should I like, delay my retirement? Those types of questions keep on coming up. So right. let's start with the economic viewpoint, yep. and then we'll go into what are some tips that people can do to, to protect their retirement with, with higher inflation. We've got Karen Charbonneau, the Executive Director and Senior Economist at CIBC Capital Markets. Karen, thank you for joining us today. No, my pleasure to be here with you. Okay, Karen. Um, you know, everybody knows that uh, inflation is with us. I, I, if we can maybe start with uh, with your take from a capital markets perspective and an economist perspective, give us an overview of what we're seeing with inflation right now. Um, well, obviously, it's very elevated. <laughs> um, it's come off the peaks that we've seen earlier this year, um, but it's still extremely elevated. We're talking about 6.9% in October uh, for Canada. Um, a lot of this is still due to uh, food and energy prices. Um, so that's actually very bad news for Canadians because those are things that you really have to spend on um, you know, every, every week, every month. Uh, food prices have been extremely, extremely high and, high and they continue to rise and, and that's very worrisome. Um, so I think that's the situation, though the, the inflation has become very broad, which is the worry for central banks. Um, and that's what we're watching. We're basically watching uh, where core inflation, that's inflation excluding food and energy, where that's heading. Karen, when we look at the, the inflation the way it is right now and the word sticky keeps on coming out, and the reason why a lot of the viewers and listeners of this show are interested in this is because when they look out forward into their retirement, they're concerned that this high prices are gonna, mm -hmm. gonna continue for the longer term. Like, and so there we're hearing that the word sticky could be years. We've been accustomed to hearing about the Bank of Canada's target for inflation being 2%, but do you think that inflation is gonna be sticky and higher than 2% for the long term? No, actually, I don't think so. And I think that most uh, like participants would think would agree with me. We still have inflation expectations, which in the medium term are anchored at 2%. And that tells us that most people think that the Bank of Canada will deliver on its mission to bring inflation back down. Um, it's sticky. It feels sticky right now because monetary policy works with a lag. And so we haven't really seen the full effect of the interest rate hikes yet. But next year, we should really start to see a meaningful deceleration in inflation. It should, it should really make leaps and bounds towards returning to 2% just next year, according to our forecast, at least, which I hope is accurate. But it's, it's become very difficult to do forecasting these days. <laughs> and we won't, we won't hold you to that, um, uh, you know, to, uh, with a knife to your throat. But I'd love to know your forecast, <laughs> uh, your forecast going forward, because people are scared right now. Uh, Karen, with this, you know, you mentioned 6.9% in October. 
And when we have conversations, it's, you know, this is, it's going to be this high forever. So if it's not the case, give us a sense of how you see inflation playing out over the next, call it 12 to 24 months. Yeah, so actually we think that by the middle of next year, it should be much lower, around 3%. Um, and by the end of next year, we should be pretty close to 2%. Um, a lot of that is going to be driven by uh, if prices of commodities stay where they are, because they were so elevated last year, we're going to see a really sharp drop uh, in the headline numbers year over year. Um, for core inflation, it will take a little longer, but by 2024, we should really be around 2% and consistent with the 2% target. So when forecasting further or when in individuals are looking at their retirement and they're looking at how much inflation is going to impact them, let's say over the next five years, should they still look at 2% as the average number or should we move that number up to 3 or 4% because over the next five years, we maybe won't have 2% average inflation rate. What would, you what would you recommend or suggest to people who are approaching or living in retirement the next five years should average for inflation? So I haven't calculated what our average would be and I don't have a forecast five years out for sure. Um, but yes, I mean, if we talk about average inflation, it, it will most likely be higher than, than 2%, in part because we don't think the, the Bank of Canada will cause a massive recession, which would cause uh, deflation. You know, we don't think the prices will necessarily reverse and go below, much below 2% and sort of offset the higher numbers that we're seeing right now. So yes, I think for the next five years, you have to take into account that inflation on average will be a little higher, but when you make your predictions, know that in five years, it should be at 2%. And, and the reason why, I, Dave, I said I asked Karen that question is because the forecast for five years is not really the point. The point is that we still see it higher. <clears throat> and even though that we are looking at inflation being higher, what's the other side of the equation is how do you invest your money in this? Expect interest rates to be higher than they were five years ago. Right. And so that means you're starting off at a higher base. So I think there's, although that we have some fear about inflation, there are some investment tools that you, in your tool belt that you can do that you can use to to mitigate that. And we don't see a massive recession. We don't see right. deflation coming into play uh, because of a massive recession. This is this is going to be a, a a way that we have to understand that inflation is going to be the way it is. For, for the foreseeable future, let's call it the next five years, right. and, and have those tools available to, for you. Right. I mean, it's good news to hear that, you know, we don't anticipate the Bank of Canada will have to push the economy into a deep recession and provide deflationary pressure to offset some of that. But Karen, um, you know, we, we, we put forecasts out uh, all the time. You put forecasts out all the time. Um, sometimes we get the questions about why do you think inflation is going to fall from this 6.9% to you know, two percent by the end of next year. Are, could you, in a in a sort of two minutes or less, or a minute or less, give us some headlines as to uh, for people why is inflation going to fall down from where it is today to where you anticipate it to be at the end of the year? Right. So as I said, there's one part of that is is stuff like gasoline prices, which just they were so high last year that on a year over year basis they will fall uh, much much more. Um, in terms of sort of the core factors, um, what we see is that the service boom should fade away and, and people with the interest rate hikes will start to cut on spending, which should eventually feed into lower inflation. Um, we, we, also, we also have, 
with that, that works for goods also. We have supply chains which have been putting a lot of pressure on goods prices uh, recently. Those issues seem to be fading uh, a bit. It's, it's less visible in certain aspects like auto. The auto sector is still quite impacted, but there are other places where definitely that's improving and that should really feed to, you know, we have a normalization of inventory levels, which should allow retailers to really discount prices more in a more normal fashion. Um, and so, so I think all these things are really going to work in our favor. We have food commodity prices also, which have leveled off their peak. So all these things, they, they really take time to materialize, but we should really see them coming into effect next year. Terrific. Okay, um, I think we've got to leave it there. Uh, that's a big, it's a big topic, inflation. Um, but it's nice also to understand a little bit about the why it's going to come down, right? right. It's not just we're hoping, is that there is data to suggest this is what's going to happen and why it's going to be happening. Correct. Karen, I want to thank you uh, for taking some time and explaining uh, that to us and giving us a forecast and uh, and all of your content and input today. Thank you very much. No, it was my pleasure to be with you. Been joined by Karen Charbonneau, who's the Executive Director and Senior Economist at CIBC Capital Markets. Let me read you a line. Canadians are hitting the brakes on their retirement plans for fear they can't afford to stop working as high inflation eats away at their savings and makes life more costly. I totally get it. We just heard from Karen about what the view or the forecast from an economic perspective of inflation is. Yeah. And that question that I asked about five years out, what do we think inflation is? And she she was quite clear. Yeah. We don't know. Economists don't predict five right. years out. Too far out. Right? They maybe 24 months. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Right? Um, five years is tough. So, but she did say expect higher rates of inflation on average over the next five years. Right. Because we're high right now, so... It would and you'd need deflation to offset the high. And we're not getting that, And thankfully. we're not seeing That's that right. as an outcome. So therefore, expect higher. Right. So no wonder there's fear when you hear the headline news saying almost 7% inflation in the month of October here in Canada. Well, how am I going to be able to retire if things keep on going up by 7%? Mm -hmm. How Let's many, give them some tips. Let's right. give people some tips. What and do you I, do? I think, okay, so when we first start off, you're going to hear this from across our industry. Mm -hmm. Make sure you have a retirement plan. Okay. You you heard my comment about that. Um, and it's right. It's the right piece of advice to give. Mm -hmm. I look at it this way. If I want to lose weight and the person says to me, the professional says to me, have a meal plan. What? That's it? Yeah, just have a meal plan. Well, what do I put in the meal plan? <laughs> How frequently? Like, give me some information. You throw me a bone, right? Right. right. And so, so, or not? Or not? Or not? Probably not. <laughs> knowing my eating habits, um, but I think just saying have a plan doesn't help. Doesn't help. Doesn't it doesn't help. give anything. Okay. So what do you do? So if you've taken the step to get a plan, great. But how, what's the tip with inflation? I think the first part that people need to understand is know your boundaries of what the possibilities could be. And let's go through them, for example. Let's say you believe what Karen said, and it's going to go to 2% by the end of 2024. Okay? So we put 2% as one outcome. Let's say you don't believe her, and it's going to stay at 7%. You can put that as an outcome. And what you're going to end up doing is showing the different probabilities or possibilities mm -hmm. of things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And in your plan, start to stress test it. Okay, what does that mean? Look at every scenario you can think of mm -hmm. that could be an impact. And there's a certain point in your plan where it's going to be trouble. 
But you cannot just go with, I'm going to put 7% forever, because that's never happened in, in history. Right? Forever, prices have gone up never by 7% in this country or in the United States. And then let's look at other possibilities. So if you look at every single scenario, right. you'll get a comfort knowing what the lifestyle will be, what kind of income, cash flow, how long your money will last with you, you know, all the other goals that you have, they all work together. You're, you're basically stress testing your retirement plan at points of time. Okay. And this could be if high inflation, markets have fallen, markets have gone up, inflation's negative, whatever. You have to look at every possibility and stress test it. That would be my first thing, to do, just to give you the data. Yeah, well, there's no point guessing and there's no point emotionally, emotionally responding is do the analysis, right? And you can get actual analysis for that, stress testing. Yeah, so, so this is where, okay, I'll use my, my daughter, poor girl. I mean, you've bugging her the whole, this whole day. Um, she's applying for universities. So she's applying and she's applying to a few university colleges uh, in the United States. She's like, what if I don't get in? Well, we won't know until you apply. Mm -hmm. And you try and you do your best and you look at if, if what the parameters, parameters are to get in and you apply accordingly. That's the same thing in retirement planning. Yeah. Look at and try it. Don't just stress about it without looking at the numbers. Yeah. I, can get, I can guarantee her that she will not get into a university she doesn't apply to. Right? So high probability. Guaranteed. <laughs> High probability. There's a high probability you won't know the results of your concerns unless you input the numbers. Okay, so Drew Nash. Stress test. I'm gonna throw a fancy term at you. All right. Okay, liability matching. Mm hmm Love it. This is a piece that's missing in the, re in, in the industry about retirement planning. It's how do you match the investments to the plan? Mm -hmm. And pension plans have done a very good job at matching liabilities, meaning they know mm -hmm. When does your pensioners need money and how much money they need and in what year they need it? And they kind of forecast out, let's say, 10 years. So if you know or you're predicting that inflation is going to be 7% next year, let's go 5% the year after that, 3% the year after that. And I'm making up these numbers. These are not, these are not the actual numbers that have been predicted. Uh, but, but if that's your, it's at your view, then you match how much income you need in today's dollars add 7% to that, or an investment that matches it, that doesn't erode the capital. Most people will use GICs. Mm -hmm. Good luck of finding a GIC at 6% today. So there's other investment vehicles out there that you can use that can match that. Mm -hmm. Dividend paying stocks at 7% is too risky because that capital could go down by the time you withdraw that money. So looking at other fixed income or other types of investment tools that we call the income bucket yep. to match the liability will give you that peace of mind knowing that over the next one, two, three, four, five, ten 10 years, whatever that, that time frame is, is going to match your cash flow. You're protecting your income. We've used the word bulletproof so many times in our, in our approach. Structure and discipline we talk about that right now. Liability matching yep. is paramount to protect so you don't have to rely on the volatility to be on your side every time you withdraw. Okay, I'm gonna throw a third concept at you. Go for it. Know your inflation. What the heck do you mean by that? Well, listen, we see October Canadian inflation running at 6.9%. Yeah. Is that what your lifestyle cost? Did your lifestyle cost go up by 6.9%? No, actually, it was funny you said that because 
Um, because I have no life, I actually track this stuff. Uh, because I have no life, I actually inputted this on to the uh, to Stats Canada's yep. website yep. where you can put every single thing that you spend your money on and it kind of gives you a gauge of what your inflation rate has been. Right. And, and then you can forecast that out going forward. Mine turned out to be after all my spending, in, and I travel, mm-hmm. I buy clothing, mm-hmm. I buy, uh, you know, I bought a vehicle. And you have kids, you do, you know, all I that stuff, kids, computers and everything. Kids yeah. are the yeah. biggest inflation out there. <clears throat> Anyways, yeah. I digress. The point is, when I plugged in everything, 2.9%, not 6.9. Right. 2.9. That's substantially less than what's posted on by Stats Canada. Uh, my year over year was 2.9 in my spending, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. But it would probably be different than what yours is. Right. Or somebody else's. So what should be my number in my retirement plan? Should I base it upon what Stats Canada says? Or should I base it upon on what I need? And it's this media effect again that we talked about in the first segment, right? So if anybody's interested, so if somebody really wanted to dig dig into what their inflation is, the Stats Can site. Do you remember where where in the... Yeah, if if you want the link to that, send me a note at morethanmoneyradio.com. Hit the contact us button. Just say, I want that inflation calculation we'll send you the link from it and maybe we'll put it on our website if we can get it up there but i think we will definitely send it to anybody who's interested Uh, know your inflation is a big piece matching your liabilities to or your spending from your savings to that amount and then of course not just having a retirement plan i think that's a minimum of course but stress testing that plan on every parameter so you know what your what your freedom within movement of of how you can spend? Yeah, because I I think a lot of people are paralyzed in this in this time where they're like I don't want to do anything uh, because I don't know if I'm going to be okay. So it's better not to retire. It's better to not spend money. It's better to forego on memories and experiences. It's better not. Well, why not find out the information and then decide if that's worth doing? Yep. More than 60% of people who haven't yet retired say they're delaying the start because everything has gotten so expensive. Nobody should be delaying their retirement without doing this analysis first, right? This is what's important. Um, And we're going to talk about how to do that, bulletproof this retirement, even in a high inflationary environment. At our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, December 6th, 7 p.m. live at the Carriage House Inn. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money, excuse me, on 770 CHQR. If you want to review uh, or listen to this segment or any of these segments again, or even our past segments, you can go to, uh, well, you can sign up for the podcast, number one, or you can go to morethanmoneyradio.com and you can listen to these these again. So thanks for tuning in. We look forward to chatting with you next week. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, you're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.